Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, welcome again. If, um, if you joined us a few minutes late, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church and just want to say welcome again. We're so glad that you chose to spend um, the last Sunday in September of 2000. This day will never come around again. This is it. This is the last Sunday of September and, and last, yeah, it's the last Sunday of September. And uh, you decided to spend it here, and that's pretty awesome. Um, just trying to dive in, you probably noticed on the back of your program, if you got one when you walked in, that today we're in a passage of Scripture called, or called, passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 7. Um, you may be really familiar with that if you grew up in a church background. That is the, the alabaster box story. Um, if, if you grew up in a church similar to the one I grew up in, C.C. Winans had a song, The Alabaster Box, right? And when she would sing that song, well, shoot, man, when anybody would sing that song, I'm talking people would just be crying. The pastor could have that song sung at the beginning of church and just give an altar call. Like, come on, just, just come to the front, and people are like laying out, bawling, just absolutely uh, wailing, because the song is just really powerful. Well, something interesting happened a couple weeks ago. Any, any X-Factor fans? Anybody watch X-Factor? A couple people? Who, who watch it? Like, some people might be X-Factor fans, and then there's, like, American Idol fans. Are there still American Idol fans? Like, any American Idol fans? No. There's, like, three people over here. It's like a desert. <laughs> no, we like the voice. Um, which... Total side note, this is not spiritual at all. How many seasons of The Voice can they do in one year? They're, they're on the second, and they're the, the advertisements, you've waited so long, we've only waited a couple of months. It ended in June, and you're starting another one in, in like now. It's too quick, too much. I, I, I'm too far behind, I'll never catch up. Anyway, on The X Factor, Simon Cowell left American Idol, joined The X Factor, it's his show. Anyway. It's really interesting, speaking of the alabaster box, a couple weeks ago, a lady, 54-year-old lady named Lily McLeod, got up to sing alabaster box, C.C. Winans, and she just wailed. I mean, it was like a church service. People are crying. The judges, Demi Lovato is her makeup smearing, and she's trying to dab it all up. And, and of course, Kelly Rowland, she's there from former... Formerly of Destiny's Child, she knows the song. She's the only one of the judges that knows the song, and she's singing it with her. And Simon's there. And typically, Simon doesn't really like it when people do church stuff. He's real critical because, you know, he's just a mean old man. Um, but he really knows music, and so you've got to give it to him because, like, he's usually right about the technical aspect of things. But the interesting thing, and this is just irony, and this isn't all that spiritual, but here you had this lady singing about the alabaster box to a judge named Simon. The passage of scripture that we're going to read today involves a lady with the alabaster box in the house of a Pharisee whose name is Simon. I don't know if you find that ironic. If your name is Simon, then um, we'll pray for you, I guess. I don't know. But I thought that was really interesting how both of, because like, they're both judging, right? Like Simon is, that's what he's supposed to do. He's not like a bad person for judging. But the Pharisee, we're going to find out, he does judge. He's a, he's a judger, and uh, his name is Simon. 
Anyway, totally off, off the wall. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible at all, let us know because we can provide one for you. Uh, if you just didn't bring it today, shame on you. Uh, you're losing points in your heaven scale or something like that. I'm not sure how that works. But we've got the scriptures. They'll be on the screen behind us. Also, you can follow along on your smartphone or um, just look at the screen or the back of your program. Here we go. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's dive into this. One of the Pharisees, later we're going to find out his name is Simon. One of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. So this Pharisee invites Jesus to come to his house for dinner. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, the thing about Jesus is that Jesus never said no to a dinner invitation. A good pastor never says no to an invitation for dinner. We're in a movie theater, subliminal advertising. Jesus never says no to a dinner invitation. And that a Pharisee would ask him to dinner is not surprising. There, there's nothing to indicate that, that the Pharisee had any ill motive. This is not a situation where the Pharisee's trying to trap Jesus or, or catch Jesus in, in something. It's not that. It's just an invitation to dinner. And, and Jesus had a lot in common with Pharisees, actually. You may not be aware of that. Jesus shared a lot of the same beliefs as the Pharisees. Jesus shared a lot of the same theology as the Pharisees. Um, so he, he would have a good conversation with them over dinner. He had so much in common with them. And besides, if, if Jesus is going to eat with, with tax collectors and sinners and then refuse to eat with a Pharisee, well, that's, you know, just as, as judgmental as refusing to eat with a sinner. If Jesus is not going to eat with the religious, then, then he's just as guilty as, as everybody else is of what he's, he's not accusing them of, but showing them, look, not prejudice here. I'll eat with anybody. I'll eat with Pharisees. I'll eat with tax collectors. I'll eat with sinners. It's cool. And the meal that Jesus is going to eat here, this is not like our meals. Like, like if I invite you to go to Wendy's with me after church, we're going to get a fast food meal. But even if we don't, if we go someplace upscale, let's say we go across the street to Olive Garden. I know that's not upscale. I mean, we could go to Virginia Beach and go to Ruth's Chris. You know, we could drop some major bones on our, on our dinner. But even then, it's not an event like it is in Jesus' day. You see, because we're going to spend, what, maybe an hour eating together. If it's a slow meal, we're going to try to get in and get out probably as quickly as we can. If we're lucky, we'll get a salad, an appetizer, and the main course. If we're really lucky, somebody orders a piece of cheesecake afterwards. You know, we'll get dessert. But in Jesus' day, meals were not like that. Meals were these extravagant gatherings that would last for several hours. And they were really laid back in the sense of they were laid back. The, the tables were not like our tables. The tables were really low to the ground. And they didn't sit in chairs. They kind of laid on cushions. And so they would lay and their feet would kind of radiate out from the table. So their feet's not towards the table. It's away from the table kind of get that idea. Maybe they're leaning on their left arm or right arm and their feet's out. Um, and, and there would be several courses. It wasn't just a salad, a, a plate of cheese sticks and, and your, your steak. It wasn't that. It, it was much more involved. 
much more involved. And there were all sorts of rules and protocol. And, and I mean, if they had all these rules about how to wash your hands, imagine what it was like eating, actually eating together. And all these rules that, that had to be followed. And, and it definitely wasn't fast. In fact, you would sit there and you might have a course and then you would sit there and just converse and talk and share and discuss and, and ask questions and get to know each other and, and, and talk about different kinds of things. You see, we eat way too fast. I eat way too fast. We sit down at a meal together. I'm done and you're just now pouring dressing on your salad. I eat fast. They didn't eat that fast. In fact, in fact, while you were reclining there um, at, the, at the table, um, you would oftentimes engage in, in very intimate conversation. Not just, hey, how are you? Good, you know, and then you don't remember it. But you would actually share part of your life. Now, only, well, I say that, but realize only a certain group of people are invited to dinner. You know what I mean? Like everybody's not allowed to come to dinner because, because the dinner would take place either inside or, or oftentimes in this courtyard type area, maybe this little opening where the table would be in the cushions and outside the wall, well, there's the people that are not welcome at our dinner. We're not going to invite them in. They're, they're the poor. They're the sinners. They're not welcome because, because keep in mind, all the rules in the protocol say that if you invite a sinner to dinner and your sinner touches the table, then the table's unclean and the table has the food on it. So the food's unclean and you eat the unclean food and now you're unclean. So you can't have dirty people at your dinner table. Like if you grew up in a house, like I grew up when you had to go wash your hands before dinner, right? Listen, the, 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 the people outside the wall, no amount, no amount of hand washing is going to clean them up. <laughs> Mama's not going to be excited to have them sit down and eat dinner with them because their hands aren't just dirty. Their whole life is dirty. Their whole body is filthy, dirty. And it's not just dirt like they rolled around in the mud. No, they're sinners. They weren't welcome at the dinner table. They might want to talk about things that wouldn't be appropriate. And so this meal here has, has all of those elements. People are gathered around the table. Jesus is there. He's been invited. He's supposed to be the honored guest as of Simon the Pharisee. And just outside the wall, there are the sinners. They're the poor. They're, they're looking because they're trying to just eavesdrop on the conversation. But they're also hoping that maybe there'll be some leftovers. Because after you've eaten and the leftovers are done, you're out, of, out of the benevolence of your heart, you would toss them to the poor outside. Here's the scraps, like a dog. That's what you get. And there's a lady out there, just on the other side of the wall, and in our passage of scripture, she's going to create some drama for us. She's going to create a crisis moment at this dinner table. And look what happens. Verse 37. Behold, I love the way Luke phrases this. Because it's, it says so much about her without saying so much about her. And behold, a woman of the city. Now, you're good people probably haven't done too much wrong in your life. Too much. Some of you, he's kind of sketchy. But if we say woman of the city, she's a woman of the city. It's probably not a good connotation that we picture in our minds. And listen, Luke doesn't just leave it at a woman of the city. He also says a woman of the city who was a sinner. 
it's not just that she enjoyed urban life. Keep in mind, she was a sinner. Behold, a woman of the city. Another way of saying, a woman of the streets. <laughs> Who was a sinner. When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, oil, perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This woman of the city who is a sinner, her reputation, her negative reputation precedes her. You are not uncertain about the kind of woman she is. Most commentators believe that she was probably a prostitute. She was probably some kind of sexually promiscuous woman. Now, it doesn't say that specifically, but a lot of commentators make that jump and assumption. Possibly, maybe, maybe she was, but without question, she is considered dirty and defiled because she's a woman of the city who is a sinner. It's like a, it's like a double emphasis. Not only is she of the city, but she's a sinner on top of it. She's doubly bad. She would have been notorious. This is not just a woman who blew it a couple of times. No, no, no. She is, her, her sinfulness is not only known, but it's scandalous. To interact with her was to, was to enter into a relationship with her that would leave you tainted and unclean. Sinners despise. Sinners, sinners were despised by Pharisees. Keep in mind, to a Pharisee, the problem with their country was all the sinners. That's the problem with our country. We've got too many sinners. That's the reason that, that the Roman government is occupying Israel, because we've got too many sinners. Now, today's culture, we don't blame the state of our country on the bad people, do we? Say if there weren't so many sinners in our country, it would be a little bit better. That's what we, that's the problem. We, we can't relate to this story at all. None of us are Simon. No, we would never say the problem with our country is the sinners. And so she comes into the room. She comes to the table and this would be a major etiquette breach. You did not do this. Outer wall people were not welcome. And were not allowed to approach the table. This is unheard of. This is an outrage. And Simon knew it. Look what he says, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, he doesn't say it out loud. He says it in his head. He thinks it. If this man were a prophet, he would have known, look at this, he would have known who and what sort of woman. Not just he would have known who this is, but he's, he would have known who and what kind of trash this is. Who's touching him. And look, he says it again, for she is a sinner. The way of saying that is her identity. It's not just that she does sinful things. That's blown it a couple of times. No, no, no. This Pharisee is thinking to himself, her identity at the very core of who she is, she's unsavable. There's no hope for her. She's a sinner. Her identity is all wrapped up in sin. 
Now, I want to just kind of pause right there. And I want to draw a contrast for you. I want us to look at two people in the story that we already know so much about. Jesus on the one hand and Simon on the other. Both of these religious leaders come into the presence of a sinful woman. How are they going to respond? How are they going to react? What are they going to do when they are thrust into the presence of a sinner, a woman of the city? Well, one's righteousness causes him to distance himself from her. One's righteousness and religion and and rules and rituals causes him to say, she needs to get away. And the other's righteousness says, no, 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 you can touch me, it's fine. One's righteousness says, if you touch me, I'll be unclean. And the other one's righteousness says, if you touch me, I'll clean you up. Do you see that? One's, one's righteousness says, I'll get defiled by you. And the other one's righteousness says, if you'll just come close to me, I'll take care of all of the problems, all of the sin. Jesus and, 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 and Simon. Jesus permits this woman to touch him, even though he knows that contact with her would make him unclean. Now last week we looked at what happens when Jesus reaches out to touch an unclean person, but in this story, think about this, what happens when the unclean touch Jesus? See, this this is different than last week Jesus is the one who initiates the stretch. Jesus is the one who initiates the touch, but this week we got to ask ourselves the question what happens when we touch Jesus? It's one thing for Jesus to stretch out his hand because he's loving, he's graceful, he's, he, he's, he's full of compassion. But what about when we stretch out our hand to touch him? Look, jump, jump down with me. What happens is Jesus reads the guy's email, he reads his thought, and he goes into a parable about two debtors. One who owed a great debt, the other who owed even greater debt. And he says, who's going to be more excited about being forgiven? And, and Simon the Pharisee says, well, obviously the person with the greater debt. And look what he says, verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, so he looks at the woman, and he says to Simon, he looks at the woman, he says to Simon, and here's the question some of us got to answer. Do you see this woman? Because the truth is, Simon didn't even see her. Like he saw her, but he didn't see her. She interrupted his meal. He saw the inconvenience, but he didn't even see her. (laughs) Do do we see her? Do do we see her? When you look at people through religious eyes, you don't even see them. All you see is someone who is condemnable and damnable and shameful and sinful and without hope and without a chance. That's all you see. You don't see somebody made in the image of God. You don't, you don't see someone who needs to learn the, the, the love and, and grace of God. You don't see someone whose debt can be canceled, whose life can be transformed. You don't even see them. Simon doesn't even see her. He just looks right past her because she's beneath him. You see, there's something interesting. So many of us think we actually belong at the table. <laughs> 
Simon thinks he belongs at the table. He, he, thinks, he's, he thinks that this woman is beneath him, so he doesn't even see her. He, he, he thinks that he belongs. And, and there's something about not believing you belong at the table with Jesus that actually qualifies you to sit at the table with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There's something about thinking you belong at the table with Jesus that actually disqualifies you from being at the table with Jesus. And that's Simon's problem. He, he doesn't think that, that, that she even is worth his, his time. You know, the church has historically, um, the, the, the church has, has made the mistake of being very, very kind and very um, um, accommodating for religious people and very cruel and very mean and very unloving to the sinners. You know that? When, when we look at Jesus, he, he does the exact opposite. He's very stern with the religious people and very compassionate to the people who aren't getting it right. He asks, do we even see her? I would ask you, do, 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 do you even see her? Like, do you even see her? You know, sometimes I don't see her. I don't get caught up in my religiosity and I don't even see her. But then there's another contrast and maybe even more obvious than that. Not just that Jesus and Simon, that's, that's a huge, just like, oh gosh, those two personalities. But then there's also Simon and the woman. And, and, and we look at Jesus and Simon at how they respond to the woman. But how about the woman and Simon at how they respond to Jesus? Well, look at this. I want you to see this. Jesus goes into this. He he's, starts blistering, absolutely blistering Simon. He says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Simon, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. Jesus starts drawing the contrast for us. She's wiped, her, she's wiped my feet with her hair. You gave me no kiss of welcome, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, Simon, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Here's the irony of the story. Jesus is a guest in Simon's house, but the sinner treats Jesus with more honor than the Pharisee. Do you see that? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. It's customary when a guest enters your house that you would, that you would have a servant uh, with, a, with a basin of water and a towel to wash the, the dirt off of their feet. But Simon does not provide this for Jesus, which is a total insult and dishonor to who he was. Jesus was a rabbi, a, a rabbi of, of, you know, some pretty, pretty obvious fame as, as crowds flocked to wherever he was. Simon doesn't even give him a bowl to wash his feet in. It's, it's interesting in the story that the sinner honors Jesus the sinner honors the presence of the Savior more than the religious person. This, this story all week has just been blowing my theology up. That a sinner can honor the presence of Jesus more than the religious. Look, look at what, what her actions do. Her actions are completely wrong. <laughs> Everything that she does is breaks the social norms of the day. She, she provides water for his feet with her tears. How many nights did she stay awake at night crying? 
How many, how many times did she lay her head down to try to go to sleep and the tears welled up in her eyes because of the abuse and the neglect of the men in her life? How many times after turning a trick did she go home and cry herself to sleep because she just wanted somebody to love her? How many sleepless nights did she endure? And now all of that pain and agony is just welled up inside of her and she's releasing it all on his feet. Except this time it's not tears of sorrow. It's not tears of hurt. It's not tears of neglect and abuse. It's tears of joy. Tears of, tears of, of, of overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelming acceptance. It's, Martin Luther calls this, these tears heart water because her tears are cleansing her heart. And she lets them spill on the dirty feet of Jesus. And she kisses his feet. I'm not trying to be crude when I say this, but where had her lips been? What was the last thing her lips touched? She breaks this alabaster jar of ointment onto Jesus. This is a very expensive oil, very expensive perfume. Let me ask you a question. How did she pay for that? There are two choices. Either her parents gave it to her when she was a little girl, and it was meant for her husband. It was meant for the, for the, for the night of their wedding, for her to break it open and share it with only him, but she had already shared it with so many men that it was worthless to her. Or, and again, I'm not trying to be crude, and if you find this offensive, then you need to read more of the Bible. Or she bought it with the money she got from prostituting her body out. Think about that. Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke on it. This woman turned tricks, bought the oil, worshipped Jesus with it, and he says nothing to her. We stress in the church about what are we going to do if somebody wins the lottery and wants to give money to the church? Are we going to take it? Jesus let a prostitute pour prostitute oil on his feet and he said her sins were forgiven. Mine's been blown all week. That one question, where did she get the oil? How, did she, how, how could she afford it? And he doesn't care. <laughs> That's what I want you to see here. He doesn't care. He doesn't care where her lips have been. She doesn't care what man she kissed just the, the, the hours before she came to the party. She doesn't care where she got the oil. All that he cares is that she's at his feet worshiping him, pouring out her life before him, and he says, your sins, gone. That has just been absolutely wrecking me this week. She, she dries his feet with her hair. Paul will tell us in, in his letters that, that a woman's glory is her hair. So she takes what is glorious to her and wipes his feet with it saying, my glory is nothing but rags compared to his. Simon better recognize that he ain't got nothing on this woman. My glory, what's special about me, compared to him, worth nothing but washing his feet with. It's worth nothing but wiping the crud off of his feet. That's what my glory is for. 
You see, the problem with we good religious people is that we never come to the end of our own goodness. <laughs> we never come to the place where, where we recognize ourselves as actually being sinful. We recognize that we actually don't belong at the table. That's, that's, that's our problem. Because, because Jesus doesn't matter much to those who think they've got it all figured out. Jesus doesn't matter much to those who are content with their own performance in the religious game. But to those who approach him completely disgusted with who they are and what they've done. Look, she didn't need a lecture on her own sinfulness. She didn't need somebody to show her the five points of sin that she had committed. She knew it all. And everybody else did too. Everybody knew all the things that she had done wrong. What we see is she just fell in love with Jesus. That's it. Her forgiveness was an act of grace, and she just fell. And she responds to him so passionately because she had been forgiven so much, and she had experienced such love. She was loved in a way that she had never been loved before. She had been loved a lot, but never like this. The love that she'd experienced in the past, well, it, it, it was a love that it was a taking kind of love. You know what I mean? It, it was a love that cost her, not just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a love freely given. It was a love that came with a price. But this love, and Jesus doesn't excuse her sin. And Jesus doesn't shift the blame. And Jesus doesn't neglect everything she's done wrong. He knows she's got a lot of sin. The question is, what's he going to do about it? He forgives it. That's what he does about it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you know, you're not really that bad of a person. If you just be a better person and, and love your mama more and, and not smack your kids around, you'll be all right. He doesn't do that. No, it's much more life-changing and transforming what he does. He forgives it. He recognizes it, and then he forgives it. He says, you don't owe anything. You know, I think that some of us, I think some of us would agree theologically that Jesus loves us and he's forgiven us, but I'm not really sure that we've experienced it. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I forget that. Because when I notice that my passion for Jesus is slipping or my generosity for Jesus is slipping or my worship or my service, what it really comes down to is that I have fallen out of love because I've forgotten that I am loved. And I've forgotten just how much I am loved. Because I've fallen prey to the belief that I belong at the table. And I don't. And you don't. And it doesn't matter... Jesus says your, your, your faith has saved you, and yet she has made no acknowledgement of what she believes. Do you know that Christians all over the world define themselves by what they believe? Well, we believe this, this, and this. And their whole denominations built around belief systems. But believing the right things just puts you in the company of demons. Like demons believe and they shudder. You can, you can believe all the right things and still be in bondage. But you can't meet Jesus and fall in love with him and still be in bondage. You see that? Like you can believe all the right things about him. But you can't meet him and still be captive. Because when you meet him, and you can't meet him and not fall passionately, madly in love with him. You can know all about him. I mean, this woman, 
what's interesting, and I'm not trying to belabor a point, but, but Jesus is in the dude's house, and he hasn't met him. Simon never met Jesus, yet Jesus was, he was bumping all up into Jesus. His servants were serving him food. He probably shook his hand at the door, but he didn't meet him. This woman, she met him. She met him. Which tells me that, that you can be in the presence of Jesus and not recognize Jesus. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can stand there and look Jesus in the face and not recognize his face. But you can't meet him and be unchanged. You know, oftentimes I think that, that we focus so much energy on trying to get people to believe the right things when we just need to get them to love Jesus. And really, it's just get them to meet Jesus. Like, hey, can I introduce you to my friend? His name's Jesus. I think if you meet him, you're going to fall madly in love with him. And you'll be willing to just totally waste your life for whatever he tells you to do. So how do we do that? Like, what do we do? Because we can't, we can't, here's the tendency that, that I have in my heart. I want to jump and start like hitting Simon over the head with a hammer. Like, I don't know if you experienced that feeling. Like, I want to punch him. Dude, how can you not do that, Simon? You're so religious. You can't see Jesus. And then I jump and start judging him. And I become judgmental. And in my attempt to not be Simon, I become Simon. Churches all over America are slamming judgmental religious people. And they're just as judgmental of the judgmental people. In our effort to not be Simon, we become Simon. I don't want to do that. And look, I think Jesus shows us the way forward in the, in the very next two verses. Look at this. Then those, last, last bit, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And there's three words. And I hope that as we dive into these three words, just over the last few minutes that we've got uh, left, that, that this will just completely rock your world. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, Go in peace. Can I ask you the question that I, that, that I felt that the Holy Spirit gave me when I read that verse? Where's she going to go? Friend, where is she going to go? She's a woman of the streets. Where, where can she go? You see, the, 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 the price of her lifestyle in the city has, has meant that she has been removed from the very structures that could offer her redemption. She's not welcome at the synagogue. She can't find peace there. Jesus says, go in peace. She can't go to the temple. She's not welcome there. Where is she going to go? She's... She's a woman of the city. The only place she's ever been welcome has been the streets. Where does she go? Where does she find peace? The, the one place she's been welcome has been among people that are like her. The one time she felt welcomed in a community is when she was amongst people like her. what she needs she needs a community of forgiven and forgiving 
sinners. She needs a community of people who know they don't belong at the table. She needs a community of people who recognize, look, I was outside the wall. (laughs) The sin in my life completely removed me from the, the privilege of being at the table with Jesus, but he made a way. He made a way and he invited me to the table or I just showed up at the table and he didn't kick me out. She needs a place like that. Where's she gonna go to experience peace, to be welcomed? This story screams at us. The need for a church and not just any church, but a church that will really say, you're welcome here. You are welcome here. You don't have to clean up. We believe if you meet Jesus, he'll clean you up. You don't have to you don't, you don't have to wash your hands before you come to the dinner table. Jesus will take care of that. You don't have to get your life together before you come to him. Come to him and he'll give you the power to get your life together. She needs that place. And this is the question I want to ask you. Because this is not a question that I can answer by myself. Pastor Brian can't answer it by himself. Could she find peace here at Vertical Church? Would she be welcome here or would we even see her? Listen, friend, that's the question that's been rocking my brain and heart all week. Are we that kind of community? And if not, why not? If we're not that kind of community, friend, we're just wasting time. If we're not that kind of community, then we just need to pack up our stuff and leave. If we're not that kind of community, we're wasting money giving it to the Regal Cinema Corporation to have church here. If we're not that kind of community, then you're wasting your time volunteering. If we're not that kind of community, you're wasting your time going to a small group. If we're not that kind of community, all of this is for nothing. This is just a bunch of religious hubbub if we're not that kind of place. If we're not a place that sees her, then we just need to cash it in. We just need to mail it in and find another place to go. If we're not that kind of place, then we're we're just up here for a show. But if we are that kind of place, if Vertical Church is the kind of church where a lady of the street who is a sinner can walk in and say, I've never felt that kind of peace. If we are that place, then I think Jesus wants to do something in our church. If we are the kind of community that can look at her and say, come on in. Look, look sister, (laughs) we aren't We we don't belong at the table either, so you're amongst friends. It's his grace that has saved me and not my goodness. So come on in. If we're that kind of church, if we're that kind of place, if we've got that kind of peace, 
then we'll have to open up more seats. We'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to work with the theater to sit people in the lobby. I'm telling you, if we are that kind of church, people are searching for... People like this exist in our world. And, and did you notice, like, Jesus didn't find her. She found Him. There are people in our world who are looking for Jesus. But when they walk into the average church, they walk into Simon's house with a bunch of Simons. You're not welcome here. What are you doing? Go clean yourself up. And I think Jesus the whole time is just trying to bust out and say, listen, I'm wanting to send her off in peace. Can you be a place of peace? Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we want to be that kind of place. So God, as, as, as the person who is privileged and, and, and honored to stand up here just about every week and, and open, open your story and, and proclaim what you're speaking to our community, Lord, I, I want to start it off. I, I repent, God, for looking too much like Simon and not enough like Jesus. Lord, would you forgive me? I don't belong at the table. And sometimes I've gotten an attitude like I do. Would you remind me, God, that I'm an outer wall person? That my religious do-goodism has not earned me a seat at the table? The only thing that has earned me a seat at the table has been your grace. Friend, if you're sitting here this morning, all eyes closed, all nobody looking around you walked into this place feeling like you did not deserve a seat at the table. You might have been attending church for a long time or this might be your first time back or ever. But you don't feel like you belong at the table. You feel like you're disqualified. You feel like the, the junk in your life says that you don't deserve to be there. What you just did this week, you think, says, I don't deserve to be there. Friend, Jesus is not going to kick you out of the dinner table. But if you'll respond to him and honor his presence like she does, just pouring out your heart to him. There are no words that she says. There's not a formula that she quotes. She just pours out her heart through tears. You might pour out your heart through words. You might pour out your heart through tears. But if you do that, he will not reject you. Some of you have been rejected so many times in your life that you just assume that it's normal. It's not, friend. And maybe you've tried to go to other churches and something happens in your life something goes awry or you make a bad decision and they've, they've, they've pushed you out. <laughs> and you're wondering, will we do the same thing? No. <laughs> this is not that kind of church. We don't kick people out. For any reason. All are welcome at the table here. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to be clean. <laughs> 
But if you come and sit down at the table with us, you will experience grace. Because you'll meet Jesus. And if that's you this morning, you came in, I don't deserve to be at the table. I just want to, I want to lead you in a prayer that, that may not sound like any prayer you've ever prayed before. Would you just say with me, you could say it under your breath, you could say it out loud. You feel like I don't belong at the table. Would you just say, Jesus, I don't feel like I belong here. But if you didn't kick her out, then I know you won't kick me out. And if you'll let me sit down at the table with you, I got a lot of questions I want to ask. And I got a lot of things I want to say. But before any of that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for letting me sit down. Thank you for not kicking me out. I'm not trying to belabor a point, but I really feel like that, 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 that there are just some hearts that need to be healed right now just by his presence. That there are some hurts and, and, and just some wounds from the past that you belong at the table with Jesus. Ma'am, you... For whatever reason people have been telling you or you've been feeling it, maybe you've been telling yourself that you don't belong there, that he could never love you or forgive you, would you just let him, would you just let him pull a seat out or a cushion out and let you sit down? He's not going to reject you. He wants to love you wants to give you his grace right now nobody's looking around nobody's going to judge you just let it flow it's 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 water to clean your heart 
Some of us have been Pharisees for too long. And He wants to clean our heart right now. Some of us don't feel like we belong because we're too sinful. And He just wants to clean our heart right now. Lord, how great is Your love for us. closer to you. Let us let us sense your love. Let us recognize and see that we belong not because of anything that we've done or our our righteousness, but because of your righteousness. Lord, for those of us who walked into this room not knowing you, today God, may we meet you. However that looks, God, I don't want to put a formula on it this morning. But friend, if, if you've met Jesus, you need to let somebody know. If you invited him into your heart, if you've had a conversation with him, you just need to tell somebody. Don't keep that to yourself. One, we want to celebrate with you. Two, don't keep it to yourself. Relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not private. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting with us this morning. Whatever you're doing in our lives and in our heart and in our church, would you just seal it right now with your presence? As we go from this place, God, will we remember that we are this kind of church, a church of peace, a church of welcome, a church for the whoevers of this world. May we see them and invite them in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.